Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Flowerpot Podcast from the National Botanic Garden of Wales. My name is Bruce Langridge and today I've got with me is Helen Whittier. Hello Helen. Hello Bruce. Now Helen has been working on a project here uh, to do with the Towie Valley, which is a most beautiful valley that runs all the way through Carmarthenshire. I'll get Helen to talk about that in a little bit. But Helen, first of all, can you just tell me what your job is and a little bit about your background? Okay. So I'm Helen Whittier and um, I am Project Officer for Differentawi, Hannes, Tirith and Raw, which is um, a landscape scale collaborative project with 15 network partners. And we're looking at the sort of middle sections of the Tari Valley um, and looking at the natural and cultural history of the area and trying to look after them all a little bit better. Um, my background is in archaeology. I'm an archaeologist by training and I'm very interested in particularly in landscape archaeology and traditional buildings. Because you know, when I first met you, uh, which is about what, two or three years ago, you okay. said you were a landscape archaeologist. And that yeah. sounds such a good title. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds very exciting. And I think, you know, landscape archaeology is one of those things that people don't necessarily immediately associate with archaeology, but it's more about understanding um, our sort of our cultural history from a, from a wider perspective rather than um, digging small holes for small questions. We, we look at, um, you know, the, the, the landscape features and I think that's, that's really quite important in terms of understanding, you know, the context for things. So, so if we look at um, sort of an example that most people might know a little bit more of, like Stonehenge, you're looking at the lumps and bumps and trying to work out uh, what might link things or if one bit of stone pops up Absolutely. somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, about, it's about not just looking at the monument itself, it's about um, understanding the context of that monument and I think also understanding how people have perceived it over the, over the course of its history and recognising that, you know, everyone's perceptions of, of that particular mon- monument are quite different. So landscape can mean a... It just kind of gives a wider context to, to understanding the past, I think. And you know this area well. And again, for those who don't know where we're talking about, Carmarthenshire, it goes northwards into the, into the hills. Yeah. And the, the River Towie goes from the hills and it meanders down. It's a beautiful, I love the way that it meanders, all the way through to Llanstephan where it goes out. Yeah. So that just gives you a bit more context. And it's a beautiful, beautiful area around here. But we're particularly looking at uh, a segment which is how far from Carmarthen to Llandilo is it? About yes, it's miles be- it? yes, it's between Llandilo and Carmarthen, um, and at that point the river is is what we call quite a, a mature river, and it, it meanders back and forth across a very broad floodplain, which you know gives gives the valley a very unique character, um, and with it being a sort of southwest facing valley, I think we have a have a really nice. Um, interesting and unique sort of microclimate which is it's been the forerunner to our kind of natural history but also our cultural history I mean it's it's a really interesting sort of microclimate I suppose in the sense that you know we get much we tend to get warmer winters here Um, it's a fantastic place for for productivity you know we've got a very um, strong farming tradition in the local area and we've got a lot of our landscape history is associated with with some parks and gardens that were established here, um, as we have at the National Botanic Garden of Wales, and so yeah, I think we've we've got a we've got a very interesting landscape and with cultural and natural history bound together. And when you talk about southwesterly facing, I mean the 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 winds come off the sea 
in the southwest from the southwest, so they blow up. Yeah. So it's usually you don't get much snow along this valley, do you? So no. it must be something to do with that. Yeah, I think because um, we're quite low lying as well in this stretch of the valley. Um, you know, we we have this um, kind of generally quite a mild climate. I mean, there have been exceptions, but yeah. so why why are people bothered about the the cultural landscape between Carmarthenshire, uh, Carmarthen Town, and Llandyla? What what is it that why is this project being um, tramped up in the first place? Well, it, the project sort of the background of the project was the the fact that we we have a lot of um, sort of destinations within the Towie Valley that are um, important for lots of different reasons. But we have a lot of people who are managing the landscape for different things. So, for instance, one of our project partners is Wildlife Trust of South and West Wales, and they're very much managing their areas of the landscape for ecology. And then we've also got a lot of land managers who are who are managing specifically for for the, the sort of historical interest. And very often it's really useful to get get everybody together to just sort of share understanding, I suppose, about how each partner is is managing that landscape and whether there are um, useful things that we can share amongst amongst the partnership. And so this was really the sort of background of the project was that um, these various sites which are um, interesting for for their natural cultural designations um, and joining up the thinking about how we look after those sites. So again people who um, again don't know this area very well of course we've got a couple of castles in there haven't we? We have got a couple (laughs) of castles yeah we've got Drisloin and Denevo Castle um, both very um, you know important historic landmarks in the Towie Valley Um, and I think you know one of the things that the project has tried to do is to to say that you know these these are fantastic um, landmarks and and they're looked after by Cadu who are a network partner um, but it's it's not the sum total of our sort of cultural history in the valley and I think the re- one of the reasons that you know we've got so many large stately homes and we've got um, um, two very standout sort of castles within the area is because they they're there because this was a this was a fought over patch of land, um, and this agricultural history, this strong agricultural history, and the history of productivity that flows through this valley is is really important in terms of the establishment of those. But we've got a very strong cultural tradition of farming, and all the fantastic buildings that go with that, all the farmsteads, and you know the the ways of managing that landscape. The farmsteads are sort of the linchpin of. Of, of managing this landscape. So. And it's quite a flat valley bottom which is reg- which is agriculturally very heavily used and it's often very regularly flooded as well. It is, yes. Yeah, because w- one of the distinctive features of the valley as well is um, certainly from herself who comes from, you know, I did a lot, uh, live a lot of my life in Manchester, it's all dry stone walls or what hedgerows are left or very scrappy. Yeah. You come down here, it's like, it's, it's wonderful. We've got so amazing hedgerows but you also got really tall old trees in the hedgerows in on the fields as well yeah it's really distinctively still embedded i think that that sort of those sort of features are really embedded in the valley and what makes it very distinctive to me absolutely i mean uh, you know the managing this landscape um it's something that we've kind of we've ret- we've retained the ability to do that um it's only the last sort of 50 years that we've lost a lot of our hedgerows and in fact actually you know in this area we've we've lost fewer 
there's there's still a very strong tradition. I mean, hedge laying matches have happened locally. Um, well, not specifically locally, actually. We've, we've um, helped to support reinstating um, a hedge laying competition in the Terry Valley through the project um, because we've, we think it's a really important part of sort of local culture. And um, it's one of those things that we think is very important um, as part of the project. And we haven't, we haven't lost as many as perhaps sort of areas of um, Eastern England, particularly where the where huge fields have been created to to um, manage crops. I mean, we've we've retained a lot of that historic landscape, and we, you know, having been lucky enough to retain it, we think we should be looking after it well. And so, training up the next generation of hedge layers is important. We've had two fantastic apprentices on our project, both of whom have been working with um, a, a local hedge layer um, to... to um... Put some names on those. Helen. Okay, so Oshan, um, Oshan Owen and Dan Bakewell have been our apprentices. And Malcolm Edwards is our fantastic local hedge layer who's been um, working very hard and, and lays in a traditional Carmarthenshire style because not only is it important to look after our hedgerows, it's, it's important that we're maintaining those um, specific traditional skills very often that have come from hundreds and thousands of years of sort of trial and error and working in particularly local conditions. So, um, so yes, we... I've got to ask you, Helen, what is the Carmarthenshire style of hedgerows? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, apparently it doesn't... It's, it's, it's difficult to describe. It's, it's not quite as tidy as the Brecon style or the Pembrokeshire style. I might get into trouble for saying that. But it's certainly a, a very effective style of hedge laying because the important thing about hedge laying is that in the days before post and wire fencing, you know, hedge, hedges had to be stock proof really quite quickly. So the incorporation of, of things like hawthorn and, you know, um, quick growing plants, but um, was, was really very important um, to that particular style of hedge laying. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a particularly beautiful style to look at, but it's extremely effective, which is what matters. That's a good answer. I like that. And part of what you're doing as well, you're looking at the wildlife associated with these hedgerows, because a lot of the, because with the way the hedgerows have been managed, has changed over the years, and, and some things have suffered, and particularly things like the brown hair street butterfly. Yeah. you commissioned a survey about that. Yes, we have. We've have, we've commissioned a survey through the project um, to look at the brown hair street butterfly in the Towie Valley, um, because this was one of its strongholds, and over the last, I think, ten to twenty years, there's been a there's been a marked decline in. Um, brown hair street butterfly and one of their their sort of environment is is hedgerows and so if we're managing hedgerows in a in a more traditional way um so cyclical um kind of laying rather than rather than annual flailing just to cut them back that gives the brown hair street butterfly a much better chance of survival and so it's one of the things that we've we've tried to do through the project and again linking sort of traditional skills um back in with um managing the, the valley sustainably for for wildlife so because because the uh, the brown hair streak if memory serves me right now it's very fussy isn't it it will only uh, lay its eggs on blackthorn bushes where you get the slow uh, the slows for the slow gin very nice yeah. uh, but it only lays it on uh, blackthorn of a certain youngish age and of a certain diameter on it on its stem I think yes I, I think I think that's the case I mean it, it's certainly it's very fussy about the the um, the problem being that if you cut back that fresh growth, the brown hair streak has nowhere to lay its eggs, and and it is it 
it is fussy and it it's certainly the way that we manage our hedgerows is material in the in the decline of, of the brown hair street now hedgerows are just one of the elements of the whole project you've done a lot of work on meadow restoration and i know i've been involved i've been working with you on that yeah can you say a little bit about what that's involved um so essentially we've we've worked with national botanic garden of wales obviously um National Botanic Garden are our, our lead partner in the project and, and host the project, but we've, we've been working to distribute um, meadow seed collected from Wineglass National Nature Reserve within, within the gardens um, to different sites within the Towie Valley. Um, and, and hopefully what we'll do, what we'll be doing by that is establishing these sort of very specifically local plant communities and supporting our wildlife by ensuring that you know the the seed that we are putting down for for establishing or re-establishing our meadows is the right kind of seed for the local area and i think you know what better source than than our national nature reserve within um, the botanic gardens and what what's been really nice is that the project has been able to finance surveys of places where we're taking the seed to so we pay someone to do a survey of the whole Italian valley to look where the nice meadows might be or where there might be nice patches of wildflowers and we've let local landowners know through places like the Commandership Meadows Group and then we've sent someone out to do surveys of the land to see the potential they might have of um, taking our wildflower seed which I think has been really that's a really good thing to do so we have thought it through and by doing that I think our seed has gone on to I couldn't. I couldn't quote the hectares to you. No, but, you don't. No, no. But, but it's, um, it's several. It's several different landowners. Different landowners yeah. in 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 the Llanarthy area. Um, we've also distributed to um, National Trust at Deneva, who wanted to establish, um, re-establish some meadow areas up there. Um, and we've been we've been running um, a bit of a project in terms of identifying what seed established very well. We had some test areas up at Deneva. Yeah, Oshin and Dan did that, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's that's been really quite useful in terms of establishing, you know, what what will take in certain areas. Yeah, the ecosystem's resilience is the buzzword at the yeah, moment, absolutely. and conservation, yes. which is going on. And a part of this as well, which I'm, I'm also very, very excited by, is we've also taken green hay from here. So, uh, so the project has paid for the to bring in contractors to take green hay from here to the Bishop's Palace in Carmarthen, which is, uh, for again, for people who don't know, the Bishop's Palace is where the Bishop of St. David lives. Um, Does she live lived. there? <laughs> I think we're still based there. Anyway, yeah, the um, so there. it's the, it's the yeah. museum at Abergwilly. So yeah. um, Towie Gateway Trust, who are also a network partner, have taken over managing the, the site around that. And, and so... They're looking to, to do all sorts of interesting things there, but it's very much a community site, that one. Um, it's open to the public and people go and walk there and enjoy enjoy the open spaces. And so they've they've benefited from some of the green hay from, from the National Botanic Gardens. And hopefully over the next few years, we'll see that um, that meadow area established and, and blooming and well, it's a big doing exper- really well. It's a big experiment there because they, their land there floods every year whereas ours don't flood they're very wet and boggy here but they they don't flood and uh floodplain meadows have been particularly i mean we've lost 97 percent of all our species rich meadows in britain over the last hundred years and floodplain meadows the ones which are directly next to the river have even been even worse hit so if this works at bishop's palace i'm going to be so excited and i'm going to go down there next year and have a little peep 
to see if any of our maybe a yellow rattle seed have taken or eye bright or whatever and if that if that works with the green hay then we know it could work in other places because we're also we had a really interesting um day out a meadows day didn't we at, we did. at Denver yes. Park do you want to talk about that yeah I mean one of the other things I'm oh, sorry I was just going to say oh, yeah. about the um about the meadow at, at Bishop's Park is that being subject to flooding I mean one of the things I'm really interested in is obviously there's a there's a lot of nutrients that make their way onto that meadow and whether we'd be expecting sort of slightly different species um to yeah. come up there and so it's at this stage it's all very experimental and one of the one of the things that we've we've help to support through this project I think is just is just the establishment of perhaps some protocols for the future and 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 working out you know what works where basically but in terms of the meadows day that we had um for the partnership it was it was a lovely day out it was a it was a sunny warm day and um we went and looked at at the meadows we went and did some coring on the meadow at um up at Denevor and so that was out on the floodplain meadow as well and we were led by Leila Thornton of, of Natural Resources Wales who demonstrated how we how to go about coring but we we stood up on top of the castle and looked out at the meadows and talked about you know how important they were sort of culturally to the valley as well um, and I think that's one thing that we really do need to remember about meadows is the fact that they they're a very important part of our cultural history as well as our, our sort of as part of management of, of this landscape with with stock sent, sent out to graze and and making hay was an important time of the year and I think it's something that's that's kind of been lost quite recently from from our sort of cultural landscape um, with the prevalence prevalence of silage making now not so many people make hay anymore but but in terms of our sort of cultural history, you know, it was it was crucial for overwintering livestock and making sure that um, everything was fed well across the, the sparse winter months. So. Well, Helen, you've, you've opened my eyes uh, to looking at old farm buildings a lot more than I used to, where you're saying some of them would have been used to store hay. They would have had a, a, a history in this. I mean, a lot of the farm buildings now, they're crumbling or they've been converted, but some things you can still see distinctively. And that's something that you feel quite passionate about, isn't it, keeping some of these? It, it really is. And I think, you know, looking after our traditional buildings has to be, you know, one of the top things on our agenda for in terms of st- sustainability, as well as just looking after our cultural history. I mean, as Bruce um, suggested, you know, you can tell a lot about the management of the landscape from, from the sort of buildings that, that you can identify on a farmstead. Certainly in this area, we don't, we don't have, generally, apart from on estate landscapes, we, we tend not to have specific hay storage barns. But what we do have often is hay lofts where the hay would have been kept dry above areas where livestock were kept over winter. Um, and we can certainly see those in, in traditional farm, farmsteads locally. But there are all sorts of other interesting sort of buildings that are, were part of those farmsteads that were part of the working of that landscape. For instance, things like threshing barns that demonstrate that we were, you know, we were processing crops and things, um, even at quite a high level in the local area, um, where where now you wouldn't necessarily expect to to find that. And so, we've got a huge amount of uh, a wealth of cultural history sort of wrapped up in our local traditional buildings, and looking after them is important. Recording and understanding them before they get before they get changed is really, really important as well. And it's something that I feel really quite passionately about. Um, I mean, for a very long time, 
buildings, I think, were, were denigrated, or, or our older buildings were denigrated as, as not particularly sustainable and not very environmentally sound. But actually, if you look after them well, they perform very well environmentally. And so that's a, it's a whole subject in itself. Now, another aspect as well is the, the kind of the human uh, vocal history as well. I mean, part of what we talked about was looking at field names, which sometimes reflect the history, yeah. and even town names, village names, house names. And when we're looking at meadows, what came out, I mean, I'm not a Welsh speaker, you are, there came out a difference between North Wales and South Wales in the way we use the word for hay meadows? Um, there are differences, but I don't know whether it's as stark as sort of um, North, just North Wales and South Wales. I mean, locally, um, there are various different names for, for hay meadows. So Dol is one of them, Dolai, um, and, and then Gwine. Um, but various different names and, and what we'd like to kind of establish and perhaps do a little bit more work on is were these applied these different names applied to different types of meadow you know we have a really really interesting sort of history of meadow management um, and I think it's something that we need we all need to find out a little bit more about partly because of its relevance to sustainability we talk very widely these days about um sort of nature-based solutions to environmental problems and, and I think meadows are a really big part of that but it strikes me that you know one of the most important things that you can do um, is to look specifically at your local area field names and place names and all these different clues and looking back at historic maps can tell us so much about that um, and looking about looking back at how our landscape has developed and how the buildings within that reflect you know, how the landscape was being managed and specifically local solutions to particular problems can also help, you know, and to, so to understand the past will really support, you know, looking after the landscape, our local landscape, well and sustainably for the future. And the project funded Gromwi Win to uh, write a, a piece about the etymological origins of Welsh names and to try and find out if there's any Welsh names specific to the Towie Valley. Tell us well, a little and, bit about um, that. Well, Welsh plant names specifically, because, in fact, you know, there are very specific colloquial names for, for a lot of the plants that we would find in our, in our meadows. And so um, Goronwy was able to identify those that were particular to the Towie Valley. Um, and, and we came up with a list of names um, with... Bruce and Garonwi involved as to ones that which was specifically interesting locally and those names are, are, are you know a fantastic record of our sort of relationship with that with that resource in the past because of course a lot of these plants were were not only just meadow plants they were they were a resource and um, you know to have to retrieve those colloquial names, the, the specifically local names for those plants is really, really important because it's, it's something that we're losing in the late, late 20th, early 21st century is that connection that we had with nature and the fact that there were very local names for, for specific plants and it, it reflects a kind of wisdom about an understanding of that landscape and how, how you work well with it, I think. Yeah, and I, I mean, I give a lot of... Um wildflower tours particularly around the botanic garden here and i speak to a lot of people who are on the tours so a lot of local people say you know a lot their knowledge of you know welsh speaker people of their knowledge of the welsh plant names have declined because those plants simply aren't there anymore yeah. and hopefully 
by reintroducing or give, helping plants re-establish in our meadows locally if we have the oral tradition as well to talk back that up so people can relearn the names absolutely and remembering really and remembering those names before they disappear completely because yeah. almost the names are, are are almost perhaps not quite as important as the plants themselves but the fact that you know we had our own names for them and and those are, are specifically relevant of how, to how we thought of those plants and and what they what they their medicinal uses and and what we were doing with them in the past. All these clues from the past can really help us understand how to, how to look after the landscape better for the future. So. Uh, the, the project has its own website, and if, you wanna, if you're interested in Gromley Wynn's article, you can find it on there, can't you? Um, you can very soon. It's, it's not quite up there yet, but it will okay. be soon. <laughs> All right. The project itself is how long? How, how long have you been working on it, Helen? So essentially, um, we, we started on the project, so me and um, my project team started in um, February of 2020, um, and we've been working on it since with a, a very brief period of, of furloughing at the start. Because What a bad timing that was. <laughs> was yeah. Yes, you couldn't have made it up really, just as we started, COVID hit, and so... Um, but anyway, it hasn't, it hasn't stopped us, um, and we've kept going, and um, we're... The project comes to an end in January um, of this year, so 2022. Um, it's a WEFO-funded project. We've done as much as we possibly can with it and the best we can. I mean, it's it's very much something that ideally we would have perhaps liked to try and include a bit more sort of interaction with different groups, but it's been very, very difficult. Yeah, you, couldn't, you couldn't get people together, could you? No, and yeah. sadly, you know, trying to um, sort of run a partnership project um, has been really quite challenging under these circumstances. Um, thank goodness for Zoom but, yeah. or, or, or Teams or, you know, just anything Or standing online. in the middle of a field shouting at each other. Yeah. This is it, yes, absolutely. We've done quite a lot of that as well. And, you know, the fact that we've, because we're a, a project that has a lot of um, interests, you know, in going out in the field, we've been able to carry on going and go and have sort of, get-togethers and discuss the landscape and discuss, you know, ways forward um, outside. So, so it's, been, it's been fine, but um, a little bit more challenging than perhaps it would have been otherwise. Yeah, and just on a personal level, for me, it's been really, really nice uh, having the excuse to go and talk to places like the National Trust, the Bishop's Palace or Gethley Eye Country Park uh, and get to know people locally here yeah. and to actually help each other out so that we actually feel a sense of uh, bonding together, that we all feel like we could maybe help preserve aspects of the landscape together and actually talk about maybe the future together, about what should we be doing next? You know, do we want to recreate the past? Do we want to look look a bit more creatively to the future? That's been really good, I think, to uh, the project. I think it's been really good at bringing people together because we we didn't used to do it before. No, and I think it's one of my sort of favourite aspects of this project has been about all the incredibly knowledgeable, interesting people that I've had the opportunity to work with across the various partner sites and the fact that it, it seems a terrible opportunity missed if we're not all getting together and sharing this knowledge. Hopefully this will all sort of keep going and we, need, we really need to ma- maintain this momentum and it's a, it's a really good start. What we need to do is to sort of maintain that going forward. There's a couple of other aspects of the project to talk about before 
talk about. Um, actually, just first of all, before I do that, just mention the people you actually directly work with, because it's always nice to mention. Yes, okay. So um, our, our admin officer um, is Kelly, Kelly Cridland, and um, who's one of the most organised people I know. We have a very small... She's very organised, She's she? incredibly organised. We have, we have a very small project team, um, and it's generally mostly me and Kelly in the office um, sort of running the project. We have um, we luckily have Peter Lee Thompson as well, who's our engagement and woodland officer. But unfortunately, he's only um, a day and a half per week, so we don't have a huge amount of his time. Uh, we also have two um, apprentices, and they've been great as well, aren't they? They have been, and I think you know they've worked really hard across the across the partnership sites, and I think you know a lot of the partnership have have really benefited from having them there. That's good. And they've been particularly going to Deneva Park, Bishop's Palace, Gethley Eyre. Yeah, so so the the um, partner sites that have a sort of physical landscape presence have benefited most from the apprentices who've been out and, and worked and done things like sort of woodland management, they've done hedge laying, they've done various, you know, every aspect of managing these landscapes the apprentices have been involved in. So I think it's been a really, it's been a fantastic experience for them and that practical experience um, to go with, you know, their, their knowledgeable sort of, you know, they're, they're both very knowledgeable and I think it's really enthused them to go forward and, and do, do useful things with land management in the future and I hope that's, I hope that they'll stay in the area and keep going locally. Yeah. And you've also, uh, it's not just them as well, you've been putting on courses, like you've been doing conservation grazing courses, haven't you? We have, we have, we've run conservation grazing courses, we've run, um, we are about to run a final course which will be a woodland management course, um, we've done a dry stone walling course, we've done orchard management courses in conjunction with Deneva Orchardeers who um, look after their heritage orchard up at, Dene- next to Deneva Home Farm. And that's been that's been a huge eye eye opener to me because orchards were not something that I was particularly aware of previously. But I went out to meet the orchardeers, and what they're doing there is fantastic. I mean, they're they're growing a lot of heritage varieties of apples, but to have um, the orchard management course back at National Botanic Gardens just before Christmas was also fantastic because it meant that all that knowledge that is coming from there can be shared here and the knowledge that's here could be shared with the orchardeers and hopefully what we've done is just established a, a really good connection. So am I right to say though with orchards that there would have been many more orchards just 100, 200 years ago than there are today? There, remarkably there are absolutely loads um, within the Towie Valley on historic maps and on our orchard course just before Christmas, we were lucky enough to have Carolyn Graves, who's worked with gardens previously. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I went to a talk with Carolyn. It's great. Yeah, yeah. He, he gave us a talk um, on the, the morning of the, the course. And it's absolutely um, fascinating because we don't normally associate orchards, particularly with this area of Wales. We tend to associate them with the sort of border counties and the cider-making counties. Um, but in fact, they've they've been a very strong part of the culture in the local area and something that's been forgotten about really quite recently um, as in up until the sort of early 20th century it's been to do with sort of various factors over the last hundred years you know that orchards have been grubbed up um, there's actually been sort of policy that's that 
supporting the removal of orchards because it wasn't felt to be a good use of land. But we've lost so many apple varieties as well. And one of the things that the Heritage Orchard at Deneva and the National Botanic Gardens are doing are saving these heritage varieties because we have so few varieties of apple that we regularly buy in the shops these days. I mean, it's, it's you know, a, a pale comparison to what we used to have um, and the variety that we used to be used to be able to pick locally and eat and there's nothing better than having you know local fruit off local trees and the variety of tastes that you get from that but um, there has been some suggestion that in fact historically the Terry Valley used to actually send apples back to Herefordshire because one of the no cider makers um, <laughs> up in that area used them um, to they, they had a specific taste which was which was very helpful to um their their cider making process that's great and if you if you went to home farm over the last autumn uh which because i go walking around there they i think the orchard orchard ears is that the right way yeah they put a little stand out with a few apples you could actually sample they as you have, just walk yes. around that, yeah. that's a wonderful idea and you can go and buy your apples from there as well they have an honesty box so you can go yeah. you know rather than go to the supermarket <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I'm probably starting something now. I hope that their production is good enough to kind of support everybody wanting to suddenly go and get apples from there. But, you know, it's it's something that is it's the start of something, you know, much bigger. And just to keep that knowledge of, of grafting and pruning um, and, you know, those techniques that almost have been sort of lost over the last 50 to 70 years, really. Again, it's yeah. to do with this this very modern sort of perhaps heading towards industrial management of the landscape um, and heading towards sort of single income streams and and the problems that come with that and we're losing this variety and one of the things that you can see in a lot of the local traditional buildings is that you know the variety of the ways in which we were managing the landscape it wasn't just about um, sheep or cattle it was it was much broader than that orchards are a big part of that and I think you know understanding this past and how we take that forward is the is the crucial thing really um building wise is, is there a is there a de- special design of building along the valley that's <laughs> there there are particular sort of forms of um estate building I suppose um and so <coughs> within the the sort of local area you get specific estate styles which are associated with either, you know, the Middleton estate or, or the Deneva estate. Um, but the other thing that's interesting and, and I think really quite important is that although locally, largely our field boundaries are, are hedgerows, um, around the um, outsides of the estates, very often you get um, what appear at the first glance to be perhaps dry stone walls, but, but are actually mortared walls. What you get with these 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 walls that define the extent of the the sort of estate is that they're really interesting with relation to sort of plant and animal communities because there's something very different something that has been sort of almost imposed on the landscape but but it's stone and it's lime mortar which immediately immediately alters the ph of the local um area and there's a suggestion that i mean people lime fields to 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 um bring conditions back from being too acidic so if you if you're planting things in close into a a wall that has lime mortar in it you're you're likely to get something that grows 
particularly well. I mean, we were speculating about, you know, perhaps why certain trees grew better close up to walls, and it could be about the shelter that they're getting, but it could also be about that proximity to slightly different sort of set of conditions. And, and so all these things, are, our cultural history is so fundamentally entwined with the ecology of the local area that I think it's really important that we take all of that into consideration when we're looking at ways of, ways of managing our landscape now. Do you know, Helen, several years ago, quite a lot of years ago, I did a night school course in moss identification here at the Botanic Garden. And on week two, we were taken out to look at the, the walls outside oh. the perimeters to look at the mosses there. <laughs> Obviously, probably for those reasons, probably damp and dark, but I hadn't thought about all the water and yeah. all the different acid and, and cal- calcareous sort of conditions. But um, I've forgotten a lot of it because it's very complicated. But it, they're still covered in moss, aren't they? They are, and yeah. it, it is, it's, you know, it's very specific science, but I think one of the things that it, it shows us is that the historical aspects of the landscape aren't just the icing on the cake. They are kind of fundamentally part of how, how our landscape has developed and fundamentally part of the ecology of the local area. And so if we fail to look after those elements of the landscape appropriately, whatever we may feel about them culturally... Um, you know, we're losing those particular ecological communities as well. And, and so everything is so symbiotically linked that, you know, we're looking after these things for, for both natural and cultural reasons. And I think that's really sums up our project is, is what it's all about, really. We've done an awful lot in two years. I mean, that's an awful lot of things you have done. Can you tell us about the website? Because that's almost going to be the major legacy. But no, the major legacy is all the work you've done on maintaining the landscape and all sorts of things like that but the the thing that's most obviously is a a a very first thing you can see is the website as well that you've done it is yeah and um we've got that um supported for a, a a further two years as it stands at the moment it's really brought together a lot of what we understand of the natural cultural history of the valley together <laughs> now you're gonna to have to spell here because people are gonna say well where is that website then so what is the website address um it's www.dufferintoe.org.uk now spell dufferintoe because i'm sure a lot of people can't okay it's d-y-f-f-r-y-n toe is t-y-w-i that's all joined together there's no dots in between there's there's so it's um, deferintoe.org.uk yes okay <laughs> that's great and I'm going to say it's a, I'm not I don't anything to do with it because I can save it very freely it's a gorgeous looking site it's got lots of lots of little nooks and crannies of information on there it's been a really interesting process just making the website and we've had um, there's a big thank you actually because we've had a huge amount of support from you know, the network partners, but also from Deneva Photographic Society, who, um, if you have a look at the website, there's beautiful images generously donated by um, Deneva Photographic Society and other local photographers. So so all those, it's sort of like a gallery for their work, really. So it's Yeah, all, it's really gorgeous, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we're, we're very lucky to have had that. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you, Helen. That's fascinating. And uh, not long left now to the end of the project? No, not long left. Um, we're doing everything, you know, to finalise um, all the last bits and pieces and bringing it all together. Um, but we've had a fantastic time and we've, we've really enjoyed, you know, working with the entire partnership and particularly being hosted here at the gardens. And it's been a pleasure working with you and Kelly and, and everyone else as well. It's been really lovely. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much, Bruce. Okay.